HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, open year-round. Learn more at bbg.org. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there and, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh yeah, what are you doing with the celery tonight? I'm making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. <laughs> Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, Luke here. We're hard at work getting the next season of Bushwick Podcast ready to be the best one yet. And we can't wait for you to hear what we've got in store. In the meantime, we wanted to share an update on one of our most popular stories from earlier this year. It was an episode called The Everyone Store, and it was about the Bushwick Food Co-op. The co-op is an ambitious organization that's trying to make healthy food more accessible and more democratic for the neighborhood. We took a look at what makes this unique grocery store tick, as well as some of the challenges they're facing in pursuit of their mission. But a few months after the episode aired, they were hit with their biggest challenge yet. On July 3rd, a fire caused significant damage to the co-op storefront, throwing the hard work they'd been doing in Bushwick into serious jeopardy. Today, their storefront is still recovering, but their unique community is stronger than ever, and they're asking for your help. Keep listening for a re-release of our original episode. And then, if you'd like to get involved with the co-op's recovery efforts, visit their website, bushwickfoodcoop.org, to find out more, or head to the link in our show notes to visit their GoFundMe page to support the co-op directly. And now, on to the show. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast, local stories for a strong community here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We work with partners throughout the neighborhood to share their remarkable journeys and break down the important issues facing Bushwick today. This week, we're going to introduce you to a business tackling an urgent problem with an unusual solution. The problem 
is making healthy groceries accessible and affordable for everyone in the neighborhood. The solution is building a democratic collective to create a new kind of grocery store. We have an uphill battle, and we also strive to work with the small to mid-level farmers who are going through similar battle. And by doing so, we create allies and partners and a, a community. And the community is so much more than just the four walls of our store. Uh, the impacts are also so much bigger than what we are even able to see by just buying your groceries. We're stepping into the intersection of food, justice, and community with an organization that just might represent the future of how Bushwick eats. It's April 12th, 2019, and this episode is called The Everyone Store. Food has been one of the most significant issues in Bushwick for decades. As we've touched upon in previous stories, like February's Soul Sips episode, Bushwick residents are more likely to have diet-related health problems, from diabetes to obesity, than residents of other parts of the city. One of the key factors in this trend has been a lack of access to healthy and affordable foods. To put it into perspective, Bushwick today has just one supermarket for every 31 bodegas, which tend to have smaller selections of fresh, healthy foods and higher prices than traditional grocers. But there are signs that the situation is improving. According to the city's latest reports, from 2015 to 2018, the rate of diabetes in adults in the neighborhood stabilized at 13%, and the rate of obesity in adults dropped from 28 to 26%. These numbers have coincided with an increase in fresh food options at bodegas and markets throughout the neighborhood. While food accessibility remains an issue for many in Bushwick, these trends are encouraging. You might be surprised to learn that behind these changes, one tiny grocery store on the furthest outskirts of the neighborhood has been pioneering affordable access to healthy foods in Bushwick for nearly a decade. It sits on the corner of Flushing and Porter Avenues in a small retail hub called The Loom, where it's surrounded by small businesses and studios like a tattoo parlor, the Bushwick Chabad House, and a veterinarian's office. Outside, trucks rumble through one of the neighborhood's most industrial quarters, buzzing between various metal shops, warehouses, and a garbage disposal facility. Inside, you'll find one of the most impressive selections of groceries in Bushwick, or for that matter, New York City. Well, what I usually do when people come in for the first time is I give them the tour of the whole store. So, like, um, right now we're in the bulk section. We've got bulk coffees and all sorts of greens and, like, dried fruits, uh, pastas, rice... Dates, nutritional yeast, nuts. There are, of course, the staples you might expect from any grocer, from milk and eggs to pasta and peanut butter. But there's also items like wild-caught fish and fresh local mushrooms that you can't find just anywhere. Each product here, from the familiar to the surprising, has been hand-picked according to the highest standards of quality and ethics. Shoppers here know that no matter what they're buying, their shopping bags will align with their taste and more importantly, with their values. And the reason they know is because they're the ones who stock the shelves. You see, this isn't an ordinary grocery store, and the customers here aren't ordinary shoppers. They're teammates in a unique experiment at the intersection of food and democracy. A collectively owned and operated grocery store that's been pushing the envelope of food access in Bushwick for years. It's called the Bushwick Food Co-op. 
and it may very well redefine the way that Bushwick gets its groceries. But in order for that to happen, it has to reconcile some exceedingly difficult questions about what it means to be a community-driven service in a neighborhood as complex as Bushwick. To learn more about the ambitions and challenges behind the Bushwick Food Co-op, we sat down with the head of day-to-day operations, Fran Sanweza. My name is Fran. I am the general manager at the Bushwick Food Co-op. And one of the co-op's top executives, Jason Finder. I'm Jason Finder. I'm the vice president of Bushwick Food Co-op. Fran and Jason are two of the most veteran members of the organization, having joined shortly after the co-op opened its brick-and-mortar storefront in 2012. The earliest version of the co-op dates back even further to 2009. When it started, it was a buying club, and it was a fairly small group of people that got together, established the cooperative kind of corporation under which it operates, uh, and created a small buying club, which means that it didn't operate sort of open hours as a grocery store. Um, It was just sort of a way for those folks to organize their own food purchasing. And I think they had maybe a pickup once a week that was hosted somewhere else. The transition to the storefront marked the start of the Bushwick Food Co-op project as it is today a space to gather the most thoughtful consumers around the highest standards of food. It was a humble beginning, with limited hours, stock, and staffing, but it sounded a call in the neighborhood for more thoughtful organizing around what it means to source and shop for groceries. Fran and Jason both described being drawn to the co-op in those early days by similar paths. They were interested in working with a food organization, but more significantly, they were interested in the opportunity to be a meaningful part of a community. I was really unfamiliar with like the concept of consumer co-ops and especially like food co-ops. So I was I was really excited. I was coming from Harlem where um where where I first moved when I moved to New York and all of my friends, my home base, everyone was here in Brooklyn. So when I moved to Brooklyn, I chose Bushwick randomly on Craigslist and and it was great to like plug into like a community space like the co-op where I could also buy amazing vegetables, organic produce, um, which has always been important to me. So I, I was very thrilled to join something new. And yeah, that's how it all happened for me <laughs> a long time ago. Today, Fran and Jason are joined by nearly 400 other people in that community as what are called owners of the Bushwick Food Co-op. Co-op is short for cooperative. And unlike a typical business, which might be owned and operated by an individual or a small team with all the decision-making power, the Bushwick Food Co-op is democratically owned and operated by each person who joins the organization. In other words, Fran, Jason, and their hundreds of co-owners collectively engage in every aspect of the business, from operating the storefront to shopping at it. It's a unique model that blurs the lines between operators and consumers, and it makes the co-op unlike almost any other store in the neighborhood. There are strict expectations for what it means to join the co-op and shop at it. Since it's democratically owned, every member owner must contribute a $150 equity payment, money that gives each new owner a financial stake in the business and capital that the co-op can use to operate and buy supplies. Since the co-op is also democratically operated, each owner is also expected to contribute labor to help the business function. That might sound intimidating, But the standard requirement is just three hours per person per month. And since every element of the co-op's operations, from stocking the shelves to keeping the books, is done this way, there's a range of opportunities for people to contribute 
that reflect a variety of abilities and interests. The three hours, if you're if you're a member who's not on a committee, they're usually at the store. So you will help us receive deliveries, unpack them, put them away. We we do a lot of in-store tasks, which are like cleaning, or sometimes you'll jump on the register if there's time for that, for you to be trained by a staff member. And if the store's super busy, we'll ask you to restock as shoppers take things out of the fridge. Um, so you do learn a few skills when you're working in the store. And then there the alternatives are like out-of-store out events, um, which doesn't mean you have to join a committee necessarily or become a co-chair, but... Uh, in the past, we've participated in the farmer's market, so there's an out-of-store shift, which is tabling at the farmer's market, which requires you to talk to people, sell things, set up the stand, be outdoors, not just like sitting or moving around. On a practical level, being an owner and keeping up with your three hours of work each month entitles you to shop at the co-op at steeply discounted prices. Owners pay just 30% above wholesale prices on each item, while non-owners who shop at the co-op Pay an 83% markup for prices closer to what you might find at a typical high-end market. At those rates, owners might pay closer to $7 for what would otherwise be a $10 jar of organic peanut butter, or closer to $5 for what would otherwise be a $7 box of pasta. Each item sold at the store is personally approved by the co-op sourcing committee, chosen based on values like production quality and source location. Much of the produce, for example, is grown within 250 miles of Bushwick, Many of the meat, fish, and dairy products are responsibly sourced. There are very few places in the neighborhood, in the city, even to some extent nationally, that are quite as kind of critical in a positive way about um, the kind of guidelines for their sourcing and the ethics behind them. So I, I still believe, even as kind of organic and whatever you consider healthy, you know, healthy food in the neighborhood, even though it's increased in years, I think our sourcing still does stand out and differentiates us. Beyond the concerns of shopping at or even helping to operate the grocery store is something even more central to the co-op spirit. The opportunity to be a meaningful voice in a community of people aligned around the shared purpose of making good food more accessible in Bushwick. This spirit of community and purpose seems to permeate every level of the Bushwick Food Co-op experience. Being an owner means more than joining an exceptional grocery store. It means joining a team with hundreds of people who share similar passions for food, justice, and collectivism. This creates a unique culture of collaboration and kinship that you won't find at your average grocery store. I've never experienced a supermarket where I can ask all the weird questions like, how do you cook? this vegetable I've never seen before or like meeting other shoppers who like tell you what recipe to make or someone who knows my name every time I come into the store knows what my favorite go-to snack is I've been around long enough to see members who you know have started families and now I know their children and they know me and they know me by name and like you know it's really nice to like have that level of connection with people but perhaps where the impact of the co-op's unique spirit is felt the most is on a civic level. As Jason puts it, owners of the co-op aren't just friends in a particularly personal grocery store. They're co-conspirators in a unique civic society with a strong sense of social purpose. And it's difficult, I think, to find that kind of civic society in the U.S. these days, uh, 
even in places like Bushwick that have a lot of energy and a lot of creative people doing interesting things, um, and especially to have sort of civic society built around a function that's so essential, like how you eat and where you get your food, uh, feels really empowering to be a part of. Even in activist circles, it's rare to find an organization where you can truly make an impact as an individual. But the Bushwick Food Co-op employs a radically democratic governance system. Nearly every community-wide decision, from setting vendor standards to choosing the co-op's executives, is processed through some kind of vote. And every owner, whether they've been with the co-op for three months or three years, has one equally important vote to cast. The member owners are the ones who, like, build and run the co-op. They have a say, they have a voice, and they're heard. Um, So... Yeah, I think it's a, a place where you feel like you participate, you actually own something, you work towards something, you you know, you can say that you had participation in it. Um, and it's more engaging than a place where, like, you just clock in and clock out and that's it. It's an empowering system, one where even the most ordinary decisions, such as determining a refund policy, are thoughtfully considered by the co-op's community and measured against their guiding values. It, um is a legal requirement for a business to have a refund policy. And we really didn't have one in writing. Um, One of our members took it upon themselves to do the research, wrote a draft, made sure that to share it with other people in different committees. And then at the annual meeting two years ago now, it was presented to the overall ownership. It was put online as well, so you could vote online for it. We presented all the edits, and it was voted on and approved by the people there. So we made our own refund policy, which was great. And so that's like um, one like very um, concrete example. But then the other ways are really subtle. So just saying, like, I wish that we had more of one product than the other. I wish that we carried low-sodium chicken broth if we listen to you and we do those things. For as empowering as the system can be, it can also be uniquely challenging. It's one thing to speak in broad strokes about the co-op's purpose and how the community might work toward it, but it's another thing entirely to align on that purpose when you need to find consensus among nearly 400 people with strong opinions. I think it's hard enough to figure out the mechanism or mechanisms for identifying the will of the membership and distilling 400-plus people's will into a common will. To do that on a consistent basis with a you know rapidly evolving group is certainly a challenge. But I think it's no less reason to embark and sort of tackle the challenge, embark on that journey and, and tackle that challenge head on. And it's kind of even more important that there be, you know, that North Star, that kind of guiding vision. Focus has been one of the key themes this past year as the co-op has confronted difficult questions about its role in the broader picture a Bushwick's fast-changing future. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn featuring spectacular plant displays year-round. Mark your calendars for Saturday, September 28th, when the Chili Pepper Festival returns to Brooklyn Botanic Garden. At this all-day celebration of all things hot and spicy, indulge in sizzling bites from 40 food artisans. Enjoy spicy food demonstrations, foodie-friendly tours and talks, activities for kids, and live performances by musicians and artists around the garden. 
Stay through the evening for a special concert that brings New Orleans to Brooklyn. Festival goers can jam out to the legendary New Orleans musicians John Papa Gross, Walter Wolfman Washington, and New Orleans Queen of Soul, Irma Thomas. Joining the fun will be Big Chief Monk Boudreaux, bringing the traditions of the Mardi Gras Indians to the heart of Brooklyn. Learn more about Brooklyn Botanic Garden at bbg.org. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Patrick Martins. I'm Brandon Hoy. And I'm Emily Pearson. Together we host The Main Course OG, where we cover food news and culture. Browse episodes of The Main Course OG wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. In the near decade since the Bushwick Food Co-op first began operating, Bushwick has changed dramatically. The organization launched at a time when the neighborhood was in the early stages of gentrification and significant demographic changes. And the co-op has watched as those processes have picked up momentum over the years. The neighborhood's changed a lot. Um, It's gentrified a lot over the years as well. So uh, the context and the context of the people shopping has also changed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But not necessarily in a bad way. It's just changed part of the nature of the neighborhood, too. Mm -hmm. Lots of young people artists who aren't here for extended periods of time, maybe just a year. So it affects like uh, our membership as well. As the neighborhood has become increasingly transient, so is the co-op's community of owners. A lot of the founding members aren't here. A lot of the veterans aren't here anymore. Um, I mean, it's also part of like the nature of Bushwick where we are. People don't really stay for more necessarily. Maybe some people do, but um, what we've experienced as a store is that our members don't really stay for longer than five years. Um, so we definitely have that, that retention problem with like your history as an individual member here. But we've never ceased to have interest or members joining, so it's always a, like a rotation system. As they reflect on these trends, the co-op's owners are now asking themselves, what's the role of the co-op in a neighborhood where it has fewer deep, lasting roots? One of the most significant consequences to come from this internal dialogue was the transition to the co-op's current ownership model last May. It was a direct response to a problem that threatened the stability of the project under the co-op's previous membership-focused model. In that system, members were more likely to become disengaged, and some were growing delinquent on their work hours. And um, if you were suspended for hours, you couldn't vote at the annual meeting, so it, it It ceased to be democratic, and the co-op should be a place where democracy is lived. So, the co-op doubled down on its most engaged members. It asked more of them in the form of the $150 equity investment, but it entrusted them with a more durable democratic voice. Now, with the ownership structure, even if you're behind on your hours, you can always vote at any meeting that requires voting, because... If you're suspended for hours, that doesn't get taken away. What gets taken away is your discount. The idea was both to kind of instill a stronger sense of ownership and make sure that, you know, folks who were members or owners or whatever we called them really understood that they owned an equal share of the business. They weren't just sort of part of a club that they had to do a few hours of work to remain a part of. um, And that while we cared a lot about the food and the food is really central to what what we do and who we are, that even perhaps deeper than that, our identity as a cooperative was really um, central to, to the community. The transition wasn't easy. It followed intensive discussions within the community and saw the co-op lose roughly half of its membership. In a sign that these hard decisions were the right ones for the community, 
In the time since the transition, the co-op has gained back as many new owners as it lost, and it continues to grow by nearly five more each week. But as it builds around a more engaged group of owners, the co-op is finding that a large, passionate democracy can create problems of its own. And perhaps none is more urgent than figuring out how to ensure that that democracy reflects the broader Bushwick community that it looks to serve. Engaging with our community has been, it's always been one of our priorities. It's part of our mission as well to engage with the community. And a lot of our members um, have different opinions of what that means. Who is the community? Or the internal community to the co-op, the external community to the co-op. What does that look like? What does affordability look like? What does it mean for us? It's one of the great challenges for the Bushwick Food Co-op project that, for all its commitment to access and justice, the co-op is seen by some in Bushwick as a sign of gentrification and inequality. To put it plainly, the average co-op owner tends to be wealthier and whiter than the average Bushwick resident. I would say the majority of the people who are members of our co-op definitely have a certain purchasing power and a are mostly white and we are trying to change that. We want to be a co-op that is more reflective of the community um, in terms of the people who are our owners. While co-ops are rooted in a deep history of communities of color and oppressed peoples, the Bushwick Food Co-op can, like other modern cooperatives, struggle at times to project an image that invites a more diverse audience. It is a it is a topic that I've heard come up a lot at different events with different co-op people. Like, I didn't join because I didn't see anyone who looked like me. On its face, the idea of a grocery store that charges you extra unless you pay a sign-up fee and work for three hours a month doesn't necessarily sound relevant for a neighborhood where many residents struggle to pay their rent while working demanding jobs already. But in reality, the co-op is working hard to make its spaces and its offerings as welcoming and accessible to as many people as possible. One of the first efforts that we made in trying to accommodate time commitment and also price commitment, not just in terms of like prices of our products, but also prices of our our equity investment, um, is creating alternatives. Because that's what the co-op should be about. And that's how you be democratic in a way as well. Like, we um, created different um, categories for you to join in. So you can join as a parent, which has a lower work requirement. If you're uh, a new parent or pregnant, you are not required to work for a year uh, until your child is 12 months. And then after that, you have reduced work hours until your child is 18. So we try to accommodate. We also created the household program. Um, So you and your spouse can join together or you and your roommates can join together and then do hours for each other. Um, We created the surrogate worker, the surrogate shopper. Um, And then also we um, offer a a significant discount, 90% discount on our equity investment for anyone that qualifies for uh, the government assistance programs. We have a list, anyone who receives uh, SNAP benefits Medicaid or has is part of public housing uh, is eligible for our discount programs. There's a really long list of the programs that qualify for that. Um, so it brings your equity investment from $150 down to $20, which is really great. And the installments was also a way to like bridge that obstacle. 
it doesn't mean we've solved the problem um, of getting everyone in Bushwick to join the co-op, but it's definitely the very first step that we took in a, in a more significant way to handle that problem. And I think there's a lot of work still to be done. As Jason points out, for as hard as the co-op is working to better connect with the Bushwick community, there are systemic forces that the co-op simply has little power to affect as an individual organization. It's a really complicated question, and there are a ton of reasons why we may or may not be at any given moment better embedded in the broader community, and especially the community of folks that have lived here for at least a generation, if not longer. Um, some of it, I think, is a reflection, maybe a lot of it, is a reflection of just deeper sort of socioeconomic issues and racial issues and um, social issues in general uh, within Bushwick and the city and the U.S. and internationally. Uh, and, and those, to some extent, we have fairly little control over. It's not a reason not to be aware of them or working really hard to address them in our context, um, but it's an uphill battle against forces that are pretty broad and pretty entrenched and, and pretty powerful. While the co-op's ownership is committed to making a broader impact than just operating a thoughtful, well-run grocery store, for now at least, many of its resources remain wrapped up in successfully being a thoughtful, well-run grocery store. We have very little capacity to do anything really effectively. So I think we are really fortunate that we have great people who really care a whole lot about what we do, and that's what's allowed us to sort of weather the challenges of that reality. But to be a really good participant in a community and to overcome those broader challenges of sort of division and just the realities of gentrification and the fact that a lot of us are participants in that process, that are members of the cooperative, um, and that I think for some even we're sort of a symbol of that. You know, we're an institution that's kind of associated either directly or indirectly with gentrification because of the timing and the people. Um, it's not impossible work to do, and it's something that we've, we've tried to, to work on, and I think with, with some success, but limited. It's really hard, and it takes a lot of really intelligently and strategically applied effort and resources, and we're so generally kind of tight on resources that I think it's, it's difficult to do. Um, so we're continuing to try, and I think as we become more streamlined and a little bit more efficient in how we run, and as we grow, there will be more room to do that kind of work more effectively. Today, the co-op is taking important steps, like holding anti-oppression trainings and building partnerships with Bushwick community organizations, to understand how it can align its ownership and its offerings with the community that it's built to serve. But of all these steps, perhaps the most important one is the simplest, listening. It's a, definitely a harder question to answer, and um, we, some of our folks on, on our outreach committee are going to start some surveying projects soon where they're going to actually go door-to-door and like chat people up. And So I think that it, it will take us a while to be fully you know, to have a more, like, diverse membership base, hopefully not that long. Uh, But I think we're making really big changes to accommodate that. And I think everyone wants to see the co-op be more reflective in that way. Yeah, and and also we're not opposed to, like, reconsidering our sourcing standards to, like, bring in different brands and uh, different price ranges for certain items. And now we... Again, we can't, we're really like caught between a rock and a hard place because our store is so small. So 
Um, we are trying to find ways to do that with what we have. When this episode first airs on April 12th, dozens of Bushwick Food Co-op owners from throughout the community will come together for the co-op's annual owners meeting. In between sessions of how to make Dominican Mangu and Co-op Jeopardy, the attendees will begin the discussions that will shape the next year of the co-op's work here in Bushwick. While it's difficult to say now quite what that next year will look like, one thing's for sure. It's going to reflect the collective passion of a growing community that truly believes it can make a difference in what it means to source, shop, and eat food here in Bushwick. Maybe you don't see it at first, but as the time goes by, you really see a value there of belonging to something that's important, um, that is representative of you, and it's different. Like, I think in this day and age where, like, we're small co-ops and small businesses and organizations are up against really big companies or farming industries or distributors or Amazon or all these. I don't want to name drop too too many, but uh, (laughs) we have an uphill battle and we also strive to work with the small to mid-level farmers who are going through similar battle. And by doing so, we create allies and partners and a, a community. And the community is so much more than just the four walls of our store. Uh, The impacts are also so much bigger than what we are even able to see by just buying your groceries. And like, and I'm not expecting everyone who joins to share that. But once you become a member who's like involved and starts to see those things slowly, um, it really changes the way that you look at food in particular. And it changes the way that you purchase. And I think that is really exciting. At least it was for me. So like, I think that... For folks who don't know about the co-op, just give it a chance, you know. Um, yeah, give it a chance and, you know, come visit us and um, we're, we're open every day. <laughs> That's it for our original episode, The Everyone Store. Unfortunately, today, as the organization recovers from its fire damage, the co-op storefront is closed until further notice. But if you're interested in learning more or getting involved, there's a few ways you can follow along. You can visit the co-op's website at bushwickfoodcoop.org. You can follow them on Instagram at bushwickfood, or you can head to the link in our show notes to visit their GoFundMe page to support them directly. The new season of Bushwick Podcast will be premiering soon. Stay tuned to this feed for updates or follow along on Instagram at bushwickpodcast. We can't wait to show you what we've been working on, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.